Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Marlowe, nice pass up to Burns on the point. Right side, shot to that same eight. We bounce score! Patrick Marlowe, his second goal of the game. Can't go back in. Scores! First National Hockey League goal. Rebound. Score! The Moose is loose! It's another power play goal for the Avs. And is the roof open? Because it's raining goals. The Washington Capitals are drinking from a fountain that's pouring like an avalanche that's coming down the mountain. It's 4-0 Colorado. Oh, welcome to episode two of Our Line Starts. I am JR, and I'm here with the guy that makes me look bad in studio, Anson Carter. <laughs> New episodes come your way every Wednesday throughout the NHL season. Here's what's on tap for episode two. Patrick Marlowe's incredible return to San Jose. Can it propel the Sharks? Jack Hughes and Capo Caco face off this week. Our early impressions of the top two picks. And Pierre McGuire chats with Jeff Molson, owner and CEO of the Montreal Canadiens. And, of course, our very own Eddie Olchek joins us to talk hot starts in Edmonton and Colorado. And he also has a new book out. We're going to find out how that's going. Eddie Olchek writing a book. It doesn't get Love much better zone. than that, does Love it? Love that zone. Can't wait to read it. So let's, let's get it started. I hear that you went down to El Paso. You had a little uh, visit down there. What, there's no hockey in El Paso. What were you doing <laughs> down there? That's what you think. We're going to change your whole perception of that. Really? Day, right? Okay. What, what's, what's going on in El Paso? So I went down there with Bill Douglas from the senior writers of NationalHockeyLeague.com said to me, hey, Anthony, you going down to see this game? I was like, what game? They said the El Paso Rhinos are playing against the Mexican National Junior Team. Hold on. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hold on a second. They were playing against who? The Mexican National Junior Team. The team Me- Mexico. Mexican. I didn't we're think- not talking football or soccer, Jared. We're talking hockey. This is the first time I've ever even heard that Mexico has a national hockey team. Well, that's what I said. My ears, I was like, and the Scooby-Doo ears when that happened. I was like, what are you talking about? There's a team. So right away, I said, we need to go down there. But then August 3rd happened. The terrible tragedy right, shooting yeah. there at Walmart. Terrible, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, is this game still going to happen? Because you never know if the Mexicans are still going to feel comfortable coming over here to the U.S. soil. Right. But as it turns out, it was a game that it was a healing process for everyone because it brought people from both sides of the board together. Awesome. And whether you're a hockey fan or not, you want to go there and you want to be there. And the atmosphere, the energy was unbelievable. Like the love and the togetherness and the arena didn't matter what color you were, white, black, brown, Asian, like didn't really matter. Only thing that mattered was the unity. And you know Amazing. what? Hockey was the big driver of that. And then that's, I think that's what is really cool about the whole thing. It's number one, everybody should get along. Everybody should feel safe. And, and the fact that hockey was, was the sport that kind of is trying to bring that, that, that community together, trying to bring that friendship together, trying to make everybody feel comfortable and, and, and try to get over something that was bad. To me, good for El Paso. I, I, it doesn't even matter how good the hockey was. By the way, how good was the Mexican national team? They were actually, they weren't bad. I mean, the Rhinos smoked them, I think 10 nothing or 15 nothing the first game. But they're back-to-back Western States Hockey League champs. So they're a pretty good team. Really good team. Yeah. If you're going to win a championship at any level, you have to be pretty good, right? So they beat them. But it wasn't even the hockey that mattered. They had some players that could play at that junior level with Team Mexico. And their coach is Diego De La Garma. His dad's the president. His brother's the goalie coach. Wow. Like it's, a, it's a real family affair. It's a, it's a close-knit unit. Really so what would you say about hockey really gathering speed in even, even less attractive markets? You talk about the non-traditional hockey markets. El Paso is not a traditional hockey market. So is hockey really getting uh, it really is. down It really is. It really is, If you went down there, I mean, the atmosphere is awesome. And, like, it's really – like, like that's their NHL. Yeah, and that's what blew me away because I never think that hockey was big in El Paso, Texas. It's a border town. Like they have Juarez on the other side of the border. You got El Paso on this side. You're driving by, you see the big fence, you see the Mexican flag on the other side. You no can literally kidding. spit across the border. That close. That's how close you are. Holy that's smoke! That's how close you are. And people there are so passionate about the game. So what about it's, the arena? How about the arena that they're playing in? Is it is it a brand new arena? Is it no, like a twenty five thousand no. seat it's, arena? What is it? It's a reconfigured. It seats about 
three or four thousand people. It used to be like a horse pen yeah. where they used to show animals and livestock. Really? So I talked to a guy named that, Alex that kind Sherman. Of, that kind of fits, right? You, <laughs> yeah. know, you know, animals, horse pen, crazy, you they know, totally NHL hockey players. It's, hockey cr- players. it's crazy. Like, there used to be dirt on the ground. They used to show yeah. animals there. They put their own ice refrigeration system in there. The coach Herman, general manager Corey Heon, these guys do it all themselves, JR. Like, you talk yeah. about Kraft Hockeyville, and you see these other small communities in Michigan yeah. and Boston. Well, this could easily be Kraft Hockeyville right there. The way these guys have just reconfigured everything. They flood the ice themselves. Yeah. They put the ice in themselves. If they have to fix something, like, I remember Corey Heon told me that he got shocked changing a light bulb in the arena. <laughs> Imagine your GM up there changing the light bulb and get, get that zapped. Is, that's fantastic. And these, these guys are all in, and it totally shows the way the community has fully embraced them. I it's can totally awesome. picture, like, a rooster just f- flying over onto the ice during the game. You know, that kind of mentality. Well, though. I was so, out there, too. I, I think last question is, how, how is the mentality in El Paso right now? How is, how is the community coming along? It, it's great. I mean, El Paso Strong is all about people coming together. I mean, we were totally embraced. Myself and producer Clayton Collins, who I went down there with, Shout out to Clayton. He did an awesome job. We went and ate at a place called L&J's Cafe. And random cafe where FBI agents were there, yeah. narc agents were there, like members of the community. Everyone just all sitting in this famous restaurant to eat Mexican food. And people just talking to us like we were just no big deal. Yeah. Like, hey, how you doing? You should get this, the Mexican combo. You should try this. You should try that. That wouldn't happen anywhere yeah. else. Imagine with New York City and saying, hey, uh, can you try that? Someone look at you, you've got two heads or Pretty something. Pretty awesome. Would be uh, good. Well, our hat's off, and obviously we uh, we wish the best to everybody in El Paso. Hope the healing goes um, as fast as possible. And I'm so happy that hockey was uh, was a part of that healing process. But the big story of the week, Patrick Marlowe coming back <laughs> to the San Jose Sharks. I, I had the opportunity to talk about it on air with Jonesy last week. I actually loved the the play by the Sharks, the the move by Doug Wilson to bring Patrick Marlowe, obviously a fan favorite, uh, back into uh, into San Jose, into the fold. Kind of surprised he didn't get any offers from any from somebody else. But San Jose is where he belongs. Ace, I you know, I played with him. Uh, I don't always agree with uh, with all of Patrick and how he plays. I've had a, my own opinions about him. But one opinion I think that I agree, I share with everybody is he is an unbelievable talented Hall of Fame hockey player that should have the right to come back and finish his career where he started um, on a high and helping a team that he has pretty much put on the map, and that's the San Jose Sharks. What a great move by, by, the, by the Sharks. It was solid because he's a low-maintenance guy, right? You know, I played with him too. Almost too low-maintenance. Really low-maintenance. Yes. Exactly, you're right. You want to yeah. see some more fire out of him, but you know bringing a player like Patrick Marlowe in isn't going to disrupt the chemistry in your room. And I thought watching San Jose play the first couple of games, not having maybe Pavelski in the lineup, maybe they need someone as a yeah, calming a influence great point. Yeah, and a help great point. those young guys settle down a little bit. And Patty has always been unreal to start regular seasons. Yeah. He's always been in tremendous shape. He's a great skater. Yep. And I'm sure he was pumped to be back. I mean, his family's there in San Jose. Like you said, you're surprised he didn't get any offers, but I'm sure everyone else in the National Hockey League knew that's where he wanted to be. So does, this surprise you? does this surprise you at 40 years old? He comes right in after not playing the first four games, gets two goals, gets an assist <laughs> in his third game. Um, I, I mean, he's leading this team at 40 years old. Does that surprise you? It does, but it doesn't. He's always been an elite skater. Yeah. I mean, and the one thing that usually goes over time, your hands don't go, it's your legs. Yeah. But Patty's found a way to keep that skating at a high level. Now, can he do it for the full 82 games? That remains probably not. Probably and not. Last year, that's a lot like to ask piano on his back. That's a lot to ask for him. But so it's a great move, and it's worked for the Sharks now because now they have two wins with Patrick Marlowe on board. Does this continue to go for the Sharks? Do they do they start now having a little bit more of a mojo? And maybe Patrick is part of the reason for it. But does this allow the Sharks to feel more comfortable and maybe get into a little bit more of a groove right now? I think it does. I mean, you don't win the Stanley Cup in October. But you could miss the playoffs due to a poor October. So I think if San Jose dug themselves into a bigger hole, and Vander Kane never started the season with them too, mm-hmm. so having those two players not being in the lineup, that, that's a big hole for the San Jose Sharks. So having Patty come back in there, guys are excited, they're pumped. He's a familiar yeah. face. Everyone wants to rally behind Patrick Marlowe. It's a great story. Getting those extra wins, you just never know what's going to happen because then the season starts going yeah. downhill then. Yeah. It's a lot easier when you're winning to come to the rink with a smile on your face and if you're losing, and if you're the same New Jersey Devils. Yeah, no question about it. And listen, I, I don't think uh, there was one person, if you watched that game in San Jose the other day and watched uh, him step onto the ice, watched those fans greet him, 
uh, watch him get announced over the over the loudspeaker and have him stand up in the standing ovation. I didn't think they were going to get to the game. Actually, that's uh, that's how much he is loved there. You saw the tears coming out of his eyes. You know he appreciates uh, the opportunity he's getting in San Jose. How much uh, he loves San Jose. Uh, I I actually thought it was one of the better things that I've seen in in a lot of years. I've been there. I I was kind of in the same situation as Patrick Marlowe. I think we both wish him the best of luck and that he uh, he continues to play high-level high hockey and can get San Jose uh, rolling again. So way to go, Sharks. Way to go, Patrick Marlowe. But we go from old guys to young guys. <laughs> the two, two top picks of the last summer, Jack Hughes in Jersey, having a horrible time mm-hmm. winning hockey games. Jack Hughes hasn't found the net yet. Capocacco. Just got his first goal. He struggled early also, but the Rangers look pretty good, a little exciting. They're, they're, they're playing uh, some inspired hockey. Uh, what do you think of these two young guys in the first week of the season? You know, they're about where I expected them to be. I thought Kaka would have a little bit more success earlier, only because I watched him play in the World Championships, and that's where a big factor. I watch these young players, and that's a big reason why I can say, well, is he going to come in and play right away and have an impact, or is it going to take some time? And Cockle this year in the World Championships was a dominant player for Team Finland, playing against men, playing against NHL players. And he was a great in Traverse City in the rookie tournament, and it just continued from there. Whereas I saw Jack Hughes play in the World Championships, and I thought he struggled. He's got elite-level skating, great edges, Mm -hmm. but just the compete level wasn't there. And that's not a knock against Jack Hughes. I mean, he's a true 18-year-old. And I think we've been spoiled with these kids coming in, dominating at 18. But he's still a kid. And when you're playing in that U.S. program, you're playing against college kids, but you're practicing against guys your age yep. all the time and your level. So you're not getting that man strength, that battle, that above the puck being hard, staying in yep. the fight that you need as being an 18 So, so are you kid. saying since you watched him in, in, in the international play, are you saying that possibly Capococco was better or more prepared to play in the yes. National Hockey League 100%. than Jack Hughes is? I, I thought for sure he'd have the, the quicker impact but he didn't, earlier. He, but he didn't really. But he, he really struggled he in did. the first four games. And almost, he felt it. Almost seemed like he was pressing too much, and he was almost in awe of being in the National Hockey League. It's fast. It's stronger. It's it's a little bit faster than than the preseason that we're at. And it was almost like he, he felt a little bit of the pressure. But that goal he scored the other day, the nice little backhand tuck. See him just relax. Uh, yeah, really relaxed. And then you saw that exhilaration. I remember when I got my first goal. I don't know about your first goal, but I hadn't scored um, in a long time. I got I had my first four games in October, got sent down, got brought up in February. And everybody's like, when's this number one kid? Everybody we're talking about is going to be the, you know, the savior of the Hawks. I'm 150 pounds. And I get called up from junior. I, I almost, I, you know, I get into an accident going to the airport. <laughs> I almost missed my flight. I got, I got hung over in a snowstorm. I missed morning skate. I hadn't skated for a month because I had a knee injury. Now I go into Minnesota, my first game. I don't even have a nameplate on the back of my shirt. I have number 27, no nameplate. Nobody knows who I am. I'm the only guy in the National Hockey League without a nameplate. I score my first goal. But I felt the pressure immensely from, you know, all the dynamics leading up to it. And now here I am, have an opportunity to score, and I finally scored. And I remember the exhilaration that I had, the, the, the relief of that goal going in. I'm like, okay, now I can settle down and play the game that I'm used to playing. Who cares about the expectations? I got that first one out of the way. Do you remember your first one? I do, I do. So when I started, I led the Caps in scoring in training camp. And then I was on the team for the first two games, and I got sent down. Because we got off to a slow start, similar to the Devils. Yeah. But I didn't have to clear waivers. So I get sent down. I'm playing with Trotsy in Portland. And I get called up. I'm on the toilet seat. Up and down, up and down. Up oh, not literally. Not literally in the toilet <laughs> no. seat when you got called up? Yeah. Up and down on the toilet seat. I was on oh. the toilet seat when I got called up. I was going to say, did you get called the toilet seat? No. my phone. Okay. No, I was actually <laughs> we called the toilet seat. Going for the minors, NHL minors. Yeah. So I finally was called up. I think it was in January or February, I believe. And we had just played in Portland. No, played in Baltimore. And I brought extra stuff for that road trip because I said, I'm getting called up for sure. Baltimore is just a hop, skip, and a jump from Washington. I knew the Caps had a bunch of injuries. They didn't call me up. Took the bus nine hours back to Portland, Maine, and I was pissed. (laughs) So I get back home. I turn off my answer machine because we had answer machines back in those days. Turn my phone off, and I go to bed. I sleep. I wake up. I got like 50 messages. It's Trotsy looking for me. David Poyle's looking for me. Shoney's looking for me. And I was like, what are you guys calling me for? And like, you're getting called up. I go, what? Called up? I was just down there in D.C. What do you mean? I got to fly back to... So I said, where's, where's the boys? They're in Florida playing against the yeah. Panthers. No sleep at all. Get in a plane, go to Portland, hop in the plane, go down to Miami. We play. I'm on the bench, jump off the bench, loose puck. Beezer's in the corner, John Van Beesbrook. He gets taken out by somebody. Bouncing puck. I too bounced it. 
into the open net. Just a beauty, right? Mine, mine was awful, too. Mine was awful first goal. <laughs> and I was fired up because I was like, okay, I'm getting an opportunity now to play in the first line with Vonk and Bondra. I wasn't playing with those guys before. I was in the fourth line with Chief, Craig yeah. Berube. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm getting a chance to play the first line now. I just settled right down after yeah, that. So much different. Just so what does, Jack Hughes, right what does Jack Hughes need to do right now? Because he's obviously struggling on the points. But it's not just the assists. It's that one goal that he needs to get. What, what, is, what does Jack Hughes need to do, in your opinion, to, to settle himself down, to get on the board, to start playing the way that we all expect the number one pick to play? I want to see him stay in the fight a little bit more. And by that, I mean, if there's a battle in the corner... But he's so he, small. He's, he's swinging, but you could still compete. You could, we've, seen, we've seen smaller players... Well, who's going to teach him to do that league. on that team? Who's going to teach him to tell him... To Taylor Hall. Fight? Yeah. Taylor Hall yeah. could be that guy. You know, Gusev. He could watch him play their similar size, or they're both not very big players. So I, even the coaching staff, Coach Hines, tell him that too. I think he's swinging a little bit too much, and he's not staying in the fight. Yeah. And that could be due to... A lack of strength, too. So he's probably thinking, well, I can't battle. That's not my game. And when he played in that national junior team program, he always had the puck in his stick. Yeah. So he didn't have to fight to get the puck back. The one big thing I found with young kids nowadays in the NHL is they have to learn to get that puck back and yeah. stay on that puck even harder. And yeah. that's something you don't like. Becoming a pro, people say, well, that guy's become a pro, JR. Well, that's, that's what it is. It's, I mean, it's, it's so hard, but what's even harder is, is being that number one pick and the pressure of being that number one pick. And a lot of people, I think, thinking maybe Capo Caco is a better player, maybe more ready for the National Hockey League than Hughes. So that pressure on top of it, it kind of, it kind of goes back. You played with the number one pick in Joe Thornton. Mm -hmm. what, what was Joe like when he came in as a number one? Was he a lot of pressure? Was he just a happy-go-lucky guy <laughs> that, he, that he's always been? It was the same thing. Joe had... He had Ray Bork, so you had a legend playing, a Boston legend, number 77. So he'd been there for a long time. So there wasn't all the expectations for Joe to carry the franchise um, as a guy like Jack Hughes. But Joe came in as the first pick. I think Sergey Samsonov was like eight or nine that same year. And yeah. Sammy played in the IHL for the Detroit Vipers, played against men. I think he won the Calder Cup that year, scored 20 goals. Yeah. And everyone's thinking, wow, maybe he should be the first pick. But I was thinking, no, Joe was a kid. You know, we're saying how I remember Joe being on the bench and we're sitting there and Burns is calling the next lines and he's playing the air guitar in between Sabres' <laughs> play. His skates are untied. He's air guitar. His skates are untied. Untied. Eddie Van Halen's like the strumming way. I'm like, Joe, what the hell are you doing? He's like, I'm playing the air guitar. Ace, this is great, isn't it? <laughs> That's so Joe, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. That is so First Joe. First overall, he's got the long curly hair. But that was just Joe. I mean, he wasn't ready at that time. He had the skill yeah. to play. But he was 18 years old. He was gangly. He wasn't strong. Didn't have that man strength. And I know that he's probably upset with Pat Burns. Actually, I know he's upset with Pat Burns for not playing him. But he wasn't ready to have that starring role. Yeah. And the next year, he took that step. The next year. And now, 20 years and later, you he's know, still playing. You know as well as I do. He was playing that air guitar saying, I'm going to be in the top 10 in assists. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. I don't give a crap of the shit what about everybody thinks. right? But that he'd was, also call me up, right? too. Want to come over and play some Nintendo? Eat yeah. Pop-Tarts? I'm like, Joe, no, we're not playing video games. The great thing no. about Joe is he's never changed. He's been a number one pick every single year of his career. But we got to remember we got Jack Hughes versus Capocaco Thursday on air. So that's going to be a great game to be able to watch. Number one versus number two. Maybe the Jack Hughes can get off the schneid. You know, his brother scored the first goal. He did. Yeah, Quinn Hughes out in Vancouver scored before his brother. That's, you know, bragging rights right there. <laughs> but more to come. Eddie O joins us in a bit to talk about the Red Hot Oilers and the Avalanche. But right now, let's send it over to Pierre Maguire with the owner of the Montreal Canadiens, Jeff Molson. Jeff, thanks for doing this. When you were a young guy growing up in Montreal, did you ever think you'd be sitting in the alumni room of the Montreal Canadiens? I know your family's been in the business <laughs> since 1957. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. Almost every day, I pinch myself and uh, I say, I can't believe I've uh, uh, I'm still here and uh, and running this uh, this great franchise for uh, for the fans. Yeah. In uh, 2009, your team bought it. Your 10th anniversary as the owner of the team. What went into the purchasing of the Montreal Canadiens? It's a, it's an interesting story, actually. I was uh, when when Molson Brewery owned the team and they sold it to George Gillette. I was pretty upset about it, um, but I was too young to be able to do what I did and. So I stayed, I stayed close, and uh, as you know, uh, Molson kept 20% of the team. So when George Gillette decided to, to uh, sell, um, I was already sort of in the door and, and had some uh, inside track, and I seized the opportunity and uh, found some good partners, and uh, here we are today, 10 years later. You know, this is an amazing franchise. Everybody knows it. It's with the New York Yankees, Manchester United. It's one of the top brands in the sporting world. What goes into a day-to-day 
for you in terms of being the president, the CEO of the Montreal Canadiens? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really important as the, as the CEO of the business uh, to not get too involved on the hockey side, but I do talk to Mark uh, Bergevin, our general manager, every day. Mm -hmm. um, I give him a call, ask him what's going on, injuries, uh, what is, what's he thinking, uh, discuss the performance of the team, just so I'm up to speed and I know what's going on uh, player by player. Um, and then uh, often I'll sit down with our uh, community uh, and public relations person and uh, get an idea of what people are talking about in the news because you know when you do go and walk out in the street and you bump into fans or you bump into media you, you kind of have to know uh, what people are talking about so you can respond and, and, uh, um, and then the rest of the time I'm, I'm managing the business and uh, trying to trying to um, give the fans the best experience they possibly could have every time they come here and uh, tweaking things making sure our food offering is good and making sure our sponsors are happy and at the end of the day uh, trying to do everything I can to support the team to give them a winning environment. What blows me away is I grew up in this town just like you did. The Canes were larger than life. Back when we were growing up, you didn't have to have a huge community outreach. You guys do. Why is that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important. I mean, the the world has changed with social media, and and uh, you know we both have kids. Uh, you know how much time they spend on their phones studying the game and 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 learning about the game, and I think. Um, you know, for us as an organization that's so impactful to so many people across the world, uh, to, to give back has become a priority for us, and uh, we're pretty proud of what we do. Do you have a favorite Montreal Canadiens moment from when you were growing up? I know you were born in 71, so that was the year of a big Stanley Cup win against Chicago. You don't remember that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't remember that one, but uh, for sure, I mean, I've, got, I've had so many great moments, but uh, my favorite player as a kid growing up was Steve Shutt. And, number 22. Uh, number 22. And, and uh, so I love watching him play uh, with uh, Guy Lafleur and, uh, and uh, Jacques Lemaire. And one year they got 150 goals. So I've got, I've got so many great stories. But I have to tell you, I've never been at the forum uh, when the Canadians have won the Stanley Cup. So I'm looking forward to that day someday to, uh, to be present when uh, we win. See, I'm glad you brought that up. So the last time a Canadian team won was 1993. Yeah. It was in Montreal. It was at the Forum. Um, Bob Cole, the great Canadian icon, the broadcaster, said, the fabulous Forum in Montreal. It's one, one of the best calls ever. That was awesome. One of the best calls ever made. Um, what do you envision if the team ever won the Stanley Cup in this building? Oh, I think uh, it's been a long time waiting, and, and Montrealers aren't used to waiting this long uh, <laughs> for a championship. But the league has changed. I mean, uh, who could have predicted last year that St. Louis was going to win the Stanley Cup? And um, the, the mentality has changed to, uh, you know, it's so hard to just make the playoffs. And once you do, anything can happen, um, good or bad. And so it's mm -hmm. really hard to win the Stanley, a lot harder to win the Stanley Cup than it was in the salary cap environment than it was uh, back then. Um, but, you know, it's been a long time, and I can't wait to see how uh, this city would erupt someday if we, uh, if we made it to the Stanley Cup final. You've had to make some tough decisions as an owner here, whether it's with the coaching staff or a manager or trading players away. What, was, what went into the P.K. Subban trade? That's, you know, it's, it's a long process, uh, that type of trade. And uh, you sort of start, you know, Mark was new as well. Uh, Mark Bergevin was new. Um, but you start talking about it early in the season as a possibility. And a, a trade of that magnitude, um, I felt like it was my obligation to get involved um, to a certain extent. So um, I talked to some of my closest advisors. I talked to players. I talked to uh, other people outside of the, uh, the Montreal Canadiens world to get a real feel for you know, why we're doing it um, and to, to make sure that I'm supportive of it. Um, and, uh, you know, Mark wanted to change the team up a little bit, and uh, a lot, because um, it was a very mm -hmm. big trade. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also knew how popular a player he was, uh, or still is even, mm -hmm. in this market. Um, and he'll always be a Montreal Canadian, and he's always welcome back uh, to, to, uh, to Montreal um, after he, he finishes his playing career. But a lot goes into it, a lot of thought, um, but at the end of the day, it's a hockey decision. And the general manager needs to stand by his decision to, uh, to make a trade, and, and I was supportive. What a lot of people don't know about you is you were actually a college hockey player. You played at St. Lawrence, and then you went on and got a graduate degree in MBA from Babson, which is a top business school in the United States. What did you learn from going to St. Lawrence and playing hockey there and then going to Babson that helps you run the Montreal Canadiens? No, I think any, any, uh, if you have the opportunity to play sports, um, although I was, uh, I was a college player, but I was always that extra defenseman. I was, mm -hmm. never, I was never the starting guy. 
but still, I was there, and I was at the practices and, uh, and, and around the team. And uh, you learn about um, teamwork. You learn how to win. You learn how to lose. Uh, you learn how to deal with people. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn how to uh, keep your cool in uh, difficult situations. Uh, you learn a lot about just general human behavior that is really important to have as you as you lead any organization, even if it's a business or a sports team. You need to uh, you need to have a balance of uh, of uh, human behaviors, and sports really helps you get that. Speaking of that, you're a father, proud father. You got three boys that are playing hockey. You got a daughter who's in Montreal. Um, you've got a son, uh, Henry, who's at Taft. How do you manage that as a father in terms of managing the hockey expectation? Yeah, I think uh, you know we're we're realistic uh, with all of our children, and and uh, uh, my daughter plays now too, by the okay, way, so yeah, which is great. But uh, the three boys play at a very high level, and and uh, uh, there are no NHL expectations here, and and our priority really is in allowing them, giving them the the opportunity to play sports at, at a high level, but at the same time getting a good education. And uh, I think all uh, all of our kids understand that that's really. Uh, that, you know, the, at the end of the day, having a great education is going to take you uh, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot further in life. Um, and uh, you know, if there were if there were expectations to to play uh, at, at the at the professional level, uh, maybe you would take a different path. But for us, it's really about the education, and they're lucky to be good athletes as well. When you were growing up, you had lots of friends. You went to a real high end prep school here called Stone House, my rival school. I went to Lower Canada College, as you know. Yeah, I know you ended up there for one year, right? Yeah. One year at LCC? Okay, that's good. Well, actually, a couple, but it was That's uh, good. It was We're glad you yeah, joined yeah, yeah. our group. <laughs> um, but what do your friends say to you when you see them around Montreal and you're the owner of the Montreal Kings? What do they say to you? You know what? It's, it's funny because I'm a pretty down-to-earth, regular guy, and, and uh, they don't say anything, really. Um, they, they see me as Jeff. Uh, they don't see me as the owner. And so, uh, you know, I've got some really good friends in this city, and... Uh, uh, that I grew up with and played sports with and uh, and still still hang out with and um, you know they'll still uh, they'll still make fun of me they'll still uh, crack jokes about me and uh, they there really is no uh, no change of behavior um, the real change for me is, has been since since buying the team you know you're in a you're in a high profile job mm-hmm. and the expectations of fans are uh, are, are very high very uh, elevated um, and so for me the the big change has been with people I don't know. Uh, who recognize me? And so when you when you when you're walking down the street and you see a, a fan who uh, uh, says hello, Mr. Molson, you know you, you stop and you talk to them and you spend time with them and uh, um, and address. The, you know, they might want to take a picture, they might want to just say hello, they might want to just shake your hand, well, whatever it is, or yell at you. That, yeah, or yell at you. <laughs> yeah, actually, I have a good story about that one. Um, yeah, it was uh, the, my first year as an owner, uh, 2010 Stanley Cup first round. And we're down three-one against the uh, Washington Capitals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was walking to lunch or something like that, and a guy in a pickup truck rolled down his window and said, "Hey, Mr. Molson, you better do something about that team." <laughs> and I, was, I put my head down and whatever, kept on walking. Thank you. Thanks for the comment. And uh, I wish I could see that guy again because we ended up winning that series in yeah. seven. Then we beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, mm-hmm. and then all of us, unfortunately, we lost in the in the semifinals. But uh, that was a great ride, and that's an example of how this city can rally behind our team. Speaking of that, the Canadians' fabric goes coast to coast in Canada and probably around the world. What do you learn in the province, in particular, English and French, how that brings everybody together? The Montreal Canadiens brand. Yeah, no, the the you know the Bell Center is is really uh, uh, for everybody. Um, the, regardless of language, race, or anything, it's probably the the, the one um, cultural uh, uh, icon in this city that that brings everybody together for one reason, and that's to support the team. And uh, we're pretty proud of that. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I got to ask you this: Could you ever see a day where Quebec City and Montreal will be playing against each other in the Stanley or in the NHL regular season again? Yeah, I guess I guess unless the uh, format changes in the Stanley Cup final uh, would be impossible <laughs> as of today. But uh, yeah. you know it could happen someday. I think uh, you know they've got a beautiful rink mm-hmm. and uh, the desire is there, the fan base is there, um, and uh, it came close in the last mm-hmm. round and uh, mm-hmm. Vegas ended up winning. Um, but uh, you never know; it could happen, and it's uh, it was one of the best rivalries in hockey and uh, the nastiest rivalries in hockey. And uh, I would love to see that. Avenco is a company that you're really proud of. Can you tell the viewers at home what that's all about? Yeah, so Avenco is uh, it's an entertainment business business that uh, you know it's similar to MSG or to Live Nation on a smaller scale. 
Um, it's, uh, it, it promotes, produces, and, de and develops uh, any kind of event. So whether we have UFC coming to town or we have a, a festival like Oshiaga that we, that we produce uh, from, from the beginning to the end, um, it's a big company with, uh, with about uh, 1,500 shows a year um, across all of Quebec and eastern Canada, a little bit in the U.S., um, and it's something we're very proud of. Can you give us a history lesson of the Molson family in hockey? I know it dates back way before 57, but 57 is when the family actually bought the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, so yeah, the, date, the, the part that dates back is Molson. Being the, you know, Molson has always been served to our fans in the, <laughs> in the forum since the beginning. It's a good product. Uh, it's a very good product, yeah. Um, and, uh, but in 1957, my grandfather, Tom, and my, my great uncle, um, uh, Senator Hartland Molson, uh, bought the team. Uh, for a lot less than I bought it, uh, mind you. But uh, so they bought the team, and they held the team for many years and won uh, won quite a few Stanley Cups. And then um, there was a point in time where another branch of the family wanted to get involved in hockey as well. Um, so another branch of, of the Molson family, and so they sold to that family, and that family held it for a few years. There was a short period of time where um, the uh, the Bronfman family owned mm -hmm. it. That's Seagram's, by the way, for those that are... And, uh, and, then the, and then the brewery bought it back in 1978 um, and owned it up until when George Gillette came in. Um, all that said and done, we've won 24 Stanley Cups, and our family has actually won 11 of them. So we have a long, deep history with this team, and we're very proud of it. What do you enjoy more, running the brewery or running the hockey team? It's totally different. Um, um, you know, running the hockey team, I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm managing uh, something for the fans um, because really at the end of the day, the, all the Montreal Canadiens fans, when they wake up in the morning and read the paper or, or now look on their phone and see the score, it's almost guaranteed they're going to be talking about it at the coffee machine at work the next, uh, that day. Um, so the expectations are high. On the beer side, it's really, uh, it's really a people business. And so we have customers of all types, whether it's a small little convenience store or a big, a big grocery chain uh, like Walmart. Um, it's all types, and there's thousands and thousands of people that are involved, and it's uh, it's fun to work in as well. But I'd say probably 80% of my uh, my job is running the Montreal Canadiens. Is there any truth to the rumor that beer sales go up when the Canadiens are playing well? Um, I sure hope so. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, you could argue the opposite as well. <laughs> but uh, uh, there's no question that um, you know when we are playing well and when we're making the playoffs, not only here. The people, you know, want to be here early and want to be part of the action. But they get together at their ho at their homes and they have, you know, playoff parties or, or whatever it is to watch uh, to watch their team play, and that uh, that can only help beer sales. What's changed the most since you become an owner in the league? Now you're ten years in. What's changed the most? Um, I'd say the. Uh, um, that's a good question. I, I, you know, there haven't been any uh, significant changes. Like if you look at the rules of the game, mm -hmm. I think. Probably uh, the game, not probably, definitely the game has become a lot faster and, uh, if, and younger. And if you're small and fast and talented, you have a better chance of making the league. Um, the, the changes in the, in the rules around, around um, you know, headshots and hooking and slashing and those types of things, I think have helped um, um, smaller, talented players uh, mm -hmm. become successful in the NHL. Uh, so that's been a big change. You look at the uh, composition of a Stanley Cup champion team eight, nine years ago versus today, it's, it's different. Um, um, and then from a, you know, from a business perspective, uh, you know, the, league, the league's been very successful. And uh, you know, Gary, Gary Bettman's done a really good job bringing it to a new level, um, whether it's through uh, expansion or um, you know, just development of the, of the brand, the NHL brand. It's been, uh, it's been a fun ride, and I think they've done a great job. Have you been surprised at how well Vegas has done, in particular with their fans? It's very impressive. Um, I think they've done a great job. I mean, not only uh, putting together a good team, um, and you know, the chances of them putting together a good team were higher because of the the, uh, the, the rules of protection yeah. uh, changed, which is great. That's probably not a bad idea, um, but but they did a good job with it, and uh, they built a good team. They built a good good culture, and I think they shocked the the whole hockey world a little bit. From a business perspective, um, just by breaking the breaking down some some of the barriers, their game presentation was different, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the you know, the music was different. The atmosphere when you walk in there, you kind of feel like uh, 
you're heading into uh, a concert and a hockey game. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of cool. So you know they've done a great job, and uh, everybody's pretty happy about that. We're doing this at the beginning of a new hockey season, the 1920 season. The draft's going to be here this summer, 2020. So that's a big feather in your cap as well. What do you look for for the Montreal Canadiens in this season? Well, we've got we've got a very young team, and uh, we've got some really talented players, either just starting or in the pipeline, about to get up uh, into the big leagues. And so. For me, I think we have a team that's uh, that's very competitive and uh, has a has an opportunity to do really well this year. Uh, but at the same time, we also have some players that are in in full young development mode, mm-hmm. and uh, we can't lose focus on that as well. So it's a combination of everything. We've got some veterans that are uh, obviously, you know, the best in their in their categories, uh, starting with our goalie. Uh, but these young kids, uh, you know, 19, 20 years old, that are coming in. Um, and experiencing the Montreal Canadiens is a big deal, and we need to uh, surround them with the right people and develop them. You talk about the goalie, Carey Price. Is there anything that he does that reminds you of Patrick Waugh when he was in his prime? There are different types of goalies. I think uh, um, you know, I, didn't, I didn't know Patrick quite as well as I know Carey because you know, every one of my years here, Carey's been our goalie. So I, I've known him for 10 years. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty reserved. He's quiet. He's a quiet leader. And uh, he goes about his business. Uh, he's a really good teammate as well, but in a quiet way. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the most famous Patrick Roy moment is <laughs> when he stopped the puck and winked at the player mm-hmm. after he Thomas stopped Sandstrom, it. Thomas Sandstrom, L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought it was awesome, but I, I don't think I could see Carrie Bryce doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, Jeff. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Good yeah. luck this season. Thank you. Thanks, Pierre. Always good to hear from Jeff Molson. Talk a little Montreal Canadiens. They're one of the teams that really needs to stay on it. One win, one loss, one win, but they have one of the best goaltenders in the league and Carey Price. But now we got our special guest. It's one of our favorites, one of the best on television, our own Eddie Olchek, who's got his own book out. He's on NBC. He's doing stuff for the Hawks. Edzo, how you doing, my friend? What's going on? Hey, hey, JR Ace, what's going on, boys? You guys, uh, you guys are lighting it up, huh? This, this uh, space face and podcast world, man. This is this is unbelievable. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ed, Ed, you know we do it all. You know, we, you know, it's 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 yeah. if, if we're going to bring JR, the truth JR, of hockey. I know you do it all, both on and off. Yeah, that, that I know for sure. You're, that you're is dragging true. Ace in with you, so it's always good. That's right. The hockey guys are the best guys. That's right. Sure. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing about your book, but I first want to start yeah. off. You had um. You had the opportunity to, uh, to, to do the Chicago Blackhawks versus the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton yeah. Oilers getting their first loss of the year, but they yeah. look really, really good to start the season. What were your impressions yeah. early watching them the other night in Chicago? Um, you know, they kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start, JR, in that game, and, and they missed some opportunities. Um, you know, McDavid had a breakaway. He missed the net. Uh, Dreisaitl had a breakaway. He made a beautiful move there, but Corey Crawford beat him and played very well in that game. So, I mean, they, they missed some opportunities. And, look, Mike Smith played really well in that game too early. I mean, if either goalie, uh, Mike Smith or Corey Crawford, was off in that game, could easily have been 3-2 after one. Like, I, I think that that's, you know, that's how many good chances were in that game. Uh, Edmonton just kind of just looked a little, I don't want to say lethargic, but they just kind of looked a little out of sync uh, but as the game went on, they seemed to kind of find their game, and uh, uh, the Blackhawks got their first win, and the Oilers got their first loss. So, um, but I, I, I was, I was kind of pleasantly surprised with the way that Edmonton plays. And look, we all know Dave Tippett. I mean, I think he coaches the same way he played, right? Like it's mm-hmm. close to the vest. Uh, it's uh, five-man units. Uh, it's uh, going to be in your face. And uh, when you can, you know, throw out guys like McDavid and Drysaddle to as as good as the guys we have in the league, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be in every single game. So look at him. James Neal is off to a, you know, what what we've seen in his career, a guy that can score in streaks. He's got eight goals now. He only had seven all of last season in Calgary when he played 63 games. And you know, Edmonton's played what five or six now. So uh, long winded Jr. Uh, I was. Uh, you know, I, I think early I was maybe a little disappointed, but again, I mean, you can't have perfect games all the time. And look, when you trail in every game and you find a way to win 
the first five games like they did. At some point when you fall behind like they did to, yeah. to the Blackhawks, who played a pretty darn good game, especially you get down a couple of goals, uh, you know, you're, you're asking for trouble. So they're bound to lose a game, and uh, I think overall I thought the right team won that game between the Hawks and Oilers. Well, that's what makes me a little bit nervous because I think with the Buffalo Sabres last year, they went on that hot streak, and they were sure. trailing most of the time, most of those games. They found a way to win those games, but eventually it went back the other way. Right. Same thing's happening with Edmonton right now. So having said that, do you see the Oilers making the playoffs this year? Boy, oh, boy, I'll tell you what. The West is like, uh, I mean, you, I think you can make a case. Could you not ace for 11 teams right now, 12 teams to to sit there and go, yeah, I could see them going on a run, or yeah, I can see them maybe making a trade, or they're better than what they are, or just sit there and go, you know what, the West maybe isn't, you know, maybe isn't as top-heavy as we thought. Maybe it is open to 12 or 13 teams. And, you know, I saw the news out of Arizona. Unfortunately, it looks like Nicholas Jalmerson, who is as good as a defensive defenseman we have in the league, is going to be out for a period of time. So that's going to be a huge loss for Arizona, for, for, uh, for Rick Tockett and the Coyotes. But, you know, I, I look at Edmonton and go, look, the start that they've gotten off to, it looks like they're getting really good goaltending. Their defense is still a little thin, Ace. I don't know what you think, but... You know, I think that they're probably, you know, maybe a defender away. And I know Larson is out, who was, you know, obviously in that trade with with Taylor Hall a couple of years ago and, and Larson coming back the other way. Um, you know, they might be a D-man uh, short to go ahead and make a run. Are they deep enough outside McDavid and, and Dreisaitl? I mean, you know, they got Nugent Hopkins and they have Neil and he's off to a great start. So um, right now, yeah, I, I guess yeah. I could because I look at some teams and go, Wow, they've been a you know they've been a disappointment to this point, hmm. and uh, you know why, why couldn't they be a wild card team? You know, yeah, you know why couldn't they be one of the top three top three teams out in the West? So um, I would lean more yes yeah. than no as far as a playoff team for the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Edzo, and I and, and I know the Edmonton Oilers fans they need it. It's been a long time without playoff hockey, but you just you just mentioned about some teams that were not picking it up and not uh, living up to expectations. You know, we see what Tampa has done. They've started awful, and, and they're, even their, their captain has called out their team early. The Dallas Stars, who we yeah. thought uh, was going to be really good, one of the top teams, hasn't even won a game yet. And then you, have, you also have uh, um, the, uh, the Nashville Predators, who everybody thought was going to be really good. They're, they've just been okay. But the one team that has lived up to all the hype that everybody was talking about in the offseason is the Colorado Avalanche, the only really undefeated team in the National Hockey League without any losses in overtime or regular, uh, regular time. These guys are the real deal. What do you think of Avalanche? Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to uh, Pittsburgh for Wednesday night hockey, JR, and going to get a chance to see the Avalanche up close and personal. I get a chance to see them four or five times a year when they when they take on the Blackhawks and so when I do the local games in Chicago and like look like this is a team that got um you know they were able to move out arguably their best defenseman over the course of the summer and Tyson Berry whose contract is up by the way and I I think he you know I don't think the Maple Leafs can afford to sign him after this year so he's pretty much a rental in Toronto but that's for another podcast and another day uh they were able to go ahead and move a guy out like that because they have such good young defensemen, and they're able to bring in a guy like Kadri who can just kind of just sit in that perfect number three hole, ideally has the ability to go ahead and play in that number two hole behind Nathan McKinnon. But you talk about a fast team, J.R. and Ace, right? Like you, Lightning you fast. There, oh, holy jeez. Like, these guys are... These guys are breaking speed limits every time they touch the puck and going up and down the ice, and their defense can jump yeah. in. And whether it's Gerard or Makar or Eric Johnson, is I, I thought Eric Johnson had a terrific season last year for the Avalanche. And you know, look at they if, look at the question mark that I have is is their goaltending good enough? Yeah, like, that that to me is really the only thing. Now, does Joe Sackick look and go, we're right on course? What is the philosophy? Well, what is the organizational plan with this team? Because I look at this team and go, if they could go out and get – I mentioned Jalmerson earlier. I'm just using his as an example because I think it's that type of player. If, if they could find – and they're hard to find, and they got a lot of draft picks and they got a lot of picks coming. If you can find somebody like that, a, a D-man's D-man, a guy that defends first, and maybe has a you know maybe has a little bit of experience, whether it's winning the cup or playing in the cup. 
if Colorado can stay healthy and get one of those guys as an add on the back end, like you could make the case. I would make the case and go, yeah, I could see the Western Conference going through Colorado, through yeah, Denver. I, I totally agree I, with you. I think they're that good. I, I do. I mean, they can score, right? Like, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Rottenen, uh, Rantanen yet. We haven't mentioned Landeskog yet. So on the back end, they're pretty young. They're pretty quick. They're very mobile. But you can never have enough defensive yeah, defensemen. I totally so agree if, with you. If I could have one ad for Colorado guys, I would say if they could get that type of player – then you sit there and go, holy cow, man! Like these guys are these guys are going to be a handful moving forward. So I'm looking forward to seeing him playing in person, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing uh, what Joe Sackick, the uh, terrific general manager of the Avalanche, is able to do moving forward for his club. Well, Edzo, you forgot about Zadorov too. Speaking of state yeah, home right. defense, well, he scored I mean, his first goal. I mean, he's mean you know, like that. He's really mean. mean. He's mean. Too. Really mean. He creates yeah. a lot of space. I mean, yeah, I want to ask right. you about some of these other teams that are getting off to hot starts, like Buffalo and Carolina. Like, what do you think of those teams, and who do you think potentially could fade off into the sunset and not yeah. continue yeah, on? Yeah, full disclosure, Ace, I've only seen Buffalo play maybe like two periods. So I, I really wouldn't want to comment on them. I know Ralph Kruger. I, I know Ralph Kruger per, personally. My brother Ricky was with him in Edmonton when my brother was assistant general manager with the Edmonton Oilers, and he spoke highly from Ralph Kruger from day one. He also worked with uh, with Ralph uh, in the uh, in the World Cup of Hockey a couple of years ago, uh, when Ralph was coaching um, the international team, and my brother was on the management team there. So I know he respects him a lot, knows he's a bright hockey guy. It looks like, you know, they've kind of bought in there, and uh, he's able to do what he needs to do. And just from watching a couple of periods, but talking to a lot of people on how they're playing, you know, Carolina to me is I, I thought that they I thought that they might take a step back at least to this point, Ace. Um, but it seems like they've kind of continued where they left off last year with an incredible season under Hot Rod, Rod Brindamore, and you know they made uh, you know they made some moves. You know they moved Falk out. They brought in Jake Gardner on the back end. Uh, looks like Dougie Hamilton is engaged and he's you know he's playing inside the dots and he's playing whistle to whistle, which is certainly huge. Slavin and Petchy, I think, are two of the most underrated defensemen in the National Hockey League. And oh, by the way, an incredible job by. The great Ronnie Francis, the former general manager there in Carolina, um, and also I'll give a primary assist to my brother because my brother was there with before they were both fired. That's right. Um, that's you right. Know, they brought they you know that's that's their team. I mean let's let's call a spade a spade. Like they put that team together with with hardly any payroll allowed, and they went out and they got you know they drafted these guys and they put this defense together. Um, you know they draft a guy like Aho. Um, you know, the, the trade they made with Chicago getting Tavo, Terrell, Vinan. Uh, so, I mean, they they did a hell of a job there. So all I'm saying is, is their back end, like I would, I would ask you guys, when you look at team defenses throughout the National Hockey League, just, the, you know, the top six guys, like would you not put, when healthy, Carolina's top six in the top five of the NHL? I mean, I, 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 mean, I would. I, I think you, you made that, uh, that call on Slavin. I think Slavin – really showed the hockey world how good he really is in the playoffs right. last year. Right. I think Dougie Hamilton had a little coming to Jesus in the offseason. He had a couple of uh, maybe of, of, um, of, of lack of maybe desire heart situations hey, last year in the he playoffs. Pulled up, he pulled up. He bailed out yeah, that one no game question. against Ovechkin. Look at nope. yeah, I was doing the game. I, yep. I, look at I Look at We've all been there, right? Like we all, we all make mistakes. We all whatever, right? But in that situation, in a playoff game, he knew he was going to get run through the end boards. And look at, I was doing the game, and that's my yep. job. Yep. And look at, like at first it was like, did he think it was icing? Like you know, you give the guy the benefit of the doubt always, all right? And then you see, holy cow. Yep, that was bad. Puck ends up in the back of the net and goes, you know what? He didn't want to get hit. He bailed. Like you got to say it. Like yep. that's what he did. He bailed. <laughs> He bailed on his team. He bailed on that play, and you know. Hey, maybe maybe it was the best. Maybe it was the best thing, awesome, right? Like, yeah. like they ended up winning a series. But maybe, so, yeah, maybe it's the best thing that happened to him. He though. could have, and it sends a message to those guys inside that room. Yep, at, absolutely. Look at, look at, I stood and and I stood behind the bench in the NHL for a couple of years, so I had the opportunity to coach. I know what it's like. You guys played. You guys know exactly what's going on. When you have a guy like that on your team that that may, pulls one of those aside. Or makes one of those plays. Your veteran guys, your heart and soul guys, you pull that guy aside and you sit there and you read him the riot act, yep. right? Like yep. you sit there and go, look at, you do that again, 
you're not playing. Like, you know what? Like, either you're in or you're out. Yep. And, and maybe that, maybe, you know, maybe that was something that, because I look at, from watching Carolina, I haven't seen, I, I think he's played very well. I think yep. if you ask Trip Tracy and Johnny Forslund, a great tandem in Carolina that does the games on TV there. I think that, like, just hearing them talk is like, he's engaged and he's, he's battling shift to shift and, you know, that was an embarrassing moment, obviously, but, um, you yeah, know, he's, he's turned it around. Part of their team. I mean, he he's has. making seven, he's making seven schmill, yeah. eight and schmill. I mean, whatever he's making, you can't have those yes. type of guys bailing in situations but, like that. So, um, but that was a, that was a really, uh, I mean, that was a crucial point yeah. in the playoffs last year. They were able to overcome it, and it looks like he's Carolina come out of it. right now he's is come out of it. where yeah. they left off without Justin Williams as well in the lineup, uh, figuring out what he's going to do moving forward. If I was his teammate too, Edzo, quickly, what I would do is tell him, Hey, you're 6'5", Dougie. Get those elbows up. Yeah, get Go those elbows up. Go back and watch those Gordie Howe tapes. Yeah, there's no yeah, question. There's no question. He That was a learning experience for him, and he's taking it to another level. There's no question. But we got to get to your book, Edzo, because I can't wait to read it. I have it sitting on my nightstand right next to my bed. Wait, did you buy a copy, or you it. get it for free? Because I know um, how cheap you are, JR. Let, let's just say it's on, it's on my bedstand. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you whether I bought it or not. But take us into the book, Edzo. What, when we open up the cover, what are we going to find inside? I'm really looking forward to it. Well, J.R., well, first off, I appreciate you guys uh, plugging the book. Um, you know, I think it's just kind of my life story, really, like where I came from and, and overcoming, you know, the so-called odds of, of uh, you know, growing up in a non-traditional hockey market, uh, you know, making it, uh, you know, making it up the way in USA hockey, you know, making the U.S. Olympic hockey team in 1984 as a 16-year-old, playing in the Olympics as a 17-year-old, you know, everybody told me I'd never make it. Uh, I'd never make the team because I was too young. Uh, people told me that, you know, I would never make it to the NHL because I was an American kid and I was from Chicago because that just didn't happen. Uh, I had people tell me uh, and listen closely is that that I would eat my way out of the NHL. Well, what's wrong with a hungry hockey player? I, and, I love it. And, and secondly, is like, I've well, missed the meal myself. Well, what's wrong with like, what's wrong with like in a little pasta and a little prime rib? Well, done nothing, buddy. I mean, come on now. Like, you know, like we all got to eat, right? Yep, that's all right. Two day manjade. So, yeah. Um, it's thrown in, like, in those. It's thrown in those Bud Lights that don't help, though, Edzo. Throwing in those Bud Lights don't help, though. You know that. You know, like people told me, I, you know, I'd never be the lead analyst on on uh, on American television for hockey because that was always held by a Canadian-born, uh, you know, former player or, or broadcaster, and and you know, and I was able to overcome all of those obstacles for whatever reason. But you know, the the greatest obstacle and the greatest challenge I had put before me was a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, guys, and. When I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, and uh, you know that was a battle that uh, I thought I was ready for, but it really tests your will to live. And uh, when you get uh, you know 14 inches of your colon removed and a tumor the size of your fist, uh, you, you know it, it tests your, it, it breaks you down. Uh, you, you wonder, okay, well, how long do I have to live? And you know, did did I live my life to its fullest? And you know, you just it. it I went into so many emotions, and I do in the book. And I think for sure, look, the three things I think you'll do, and look at there's hockey stories in there. I think there's horse racing stories. There's personal. There's family. Um, but I think you're going to laugh. I think you're going to cry. And I think you're going to love a little bit more. And what I mean by that is that I, you guys know me well. I, I've, always, I've always lived my life letting the most important people in my life know how much they mean to me. And in particular, you know, my circle. We all have a circle. We all have a story. But, you know, my wife, my kids, my family, um, I've always let them know that, God forbid, that if something would happen to me, I would always want you to know how much I love you and how much you've meant to me in my life and fulfilled my life. And I've, I've, met, I said, I've said that to my wife thousands of times for many, many years. And she's always told me nothing's going to happen. You know, yeah. But you know what? We're all day to day in the big picture, aren't we all? Like, it, mm -hmm. there's no, tomorrow was not guaranteed. And what helped me get through my cancer battle is that I was very much at peace, is that if my time was up after the six months of chemo and they said, you know what, Edzo, that's it. Time's up. Uh, it's time to go. I was at peace. And I think that really helped me get through the battles because the chemotherapy and the medicine that I was on broke me down. And it happened in treatment, too, and I talk about it specifically in the book. I, my, the, the side effects, and we're all touched by this horrible disease. It doesn't discriminate. And for me, 
I was in treatment too. I would go every two weeks. I would get it for 48 hours, my chemotherapy, and in treatment too, it just broke me down. I, I, I completely lost it, and I'm just like, the side effects broke me down, and this was a nosebleed. It was my headaches. It was neuropathy. It was, you know, just blood clots. It was, I would just go to the bathroom. Like, look at, like, oh, look at it. I just would shit, and you can't control it. Like, the medicine, it, it, it consumes your mind and it consumes your body. It takes over your body. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I quit. And I've never quit at anything mm, in my life, wow. whether I was down 7-1 in a hockey game, either I was standing behind the bench or on the ice, or I was down $25 at the track. Okay, 2500 at the track. I was down at the track. <laughs> Only 2500 I, <laughs> I wasn't quitting. Yeah. And you know what? I told my wife I quit. I'm uh, not embarrassed to say that, guys, because I think everybody out there that's been in a battle or is battling this horrible disease, you have these feelings. And I want people to know, like, it's real. And I want them to know, it's like, look, at, I, I wanted to quit because I couldn't take it. And I'm like, how am I going to get through this second treatment on September the 15th of 2017? How am I going to get to February 21st of 2018? I can't get through the second treatment. I got to go through 10 more. Mm. I'm done. And my wife of 31 years grabbed me. She grabbed me by the short hairs, and she looked at me, and she said, fight. you got to fight for me, fight for our kids, and fight for all the people that love you. And we've all been in locker rooms. We've all had some great speeches. We've all been pumped up by people. But I needed that, guys. Like, I needed that and hear that. And I wasn't feeling sorry for myself. I wasn't. It was just I was down. I was broken. I was on my knees, and I'm like, I'm hurting, and, I, and I'm, I'm afraid, and I'm still afraid because cancer is always going to be with me. But when my wife said that to me, I took a deep breath. I cried. She cried. We probably cried for 30 minutes. And I'm like, okay, all right, okay, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go day to day. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to breathe. I'm going to go day to day. I'm going to take the medicine, and I'm going to fight. I'm gonna, I needed goals, and I, need, I needed that. And I'll tell you what, if I, if I was by myself, I would have never made it, guys. I know that. And the support that I had from our family at NBC, you guys in particular, Jonesy, Mikey, KT, Liam, Doc, you know, uh, Boosh, uh, I mean, go on and on, Sharpie. I mean, I just, our entire team, uh, our producers, our t you know, just everybody. I just, I couldn't have done it by myself. And uh, when, I was, when I announced in March of 18 that I was cancer-free, I, you know, I, I said, like, you know, we did it. And mm -hmm. I really believe we did it. And people yeah. that I don't even know were supportive. So I, I just think in the book, like I said, I, I think um, if I can inspire one person, guys, regardless of the yeah. age, because I think the book is for all ages, if I can inspire one person to help them battle through whatever they may be going through, inspire them to stay away from this horrible disease maybe it's getting a colonoscopy when they should instead of putting it off or if somebody's having a tough day and they're battling and saying hey if that old broken down hockey player and horse player can get through it yes. well i can too and uh it would be well worth the 16 months of work that we put into yeah. it to uh to uh, spread the word and and hopefully people will be uh, will be touched by my message uh, it's it's an unbelievable message edzo i i it's it was so well said and I, I will tell you that victory that you that you produced against cancer. I think, in my opinion, changed Eddie Olchek because you are a different person. You are always a great person, but beating that, I think you uh, you you see every day at Eddie Olchek that you love life, you appreciate life, you don't take it for granted, and you treat people as good as anybody. So way to go, Edzo. Okay, I couldn't, appreciate couldn't, it, man. Like, uh, you know, like I, I, I've been asked that question real quick if I can. Like, I, I mean, I, I've been asked that question is like, do I, do I look at things differently? And look, and when I, I had enough quiet time to last me a lifetime. I mean, I spent 17 hours in our basement for, for, for six months, um, you know, just, and that's where I lived. And I had a time to reflect and, you know, and I look back and I think what this did, and I said, I was very much at peace. Like I really was. But I look back at my life and go, you know what, look, I mean, I've been lucky. Uh, we've all been lucky to be able to be involved in the greatest game in the world. But I look back and said, you know what, like I look back and go, man, I, I, I accomplished a lot, you know. And, and, and I look back on my hockey playing career and go, you know what, like, you know what, regardless of what people may say or whatever, and that's just, that's the world we live in and that's fine. Yeah. Everybody's got an opinion. That's great. But it's like, you know what, like, 
I had a I had a damn good career. Like I played 16 years in the hardest league to play in the world, mm-hmm. and and it, I think that helped me, Jr. Like yeah. it really did. And I think if anything now is that I just I think I'm 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 a little bit more out there when it comes to that part of maybe opening mm-hmm. up a little bit and being a little bit more. I don't even know if affectionist is a word, but yeah. you know what I mean. Just showing yeah. that and just letting people know it's okay to show your emotions and, and let the most important people that you love. Uh, let them know how you feel, and and that's what I've kind of done in this book, and uh, I'm very proud of it. And uh, look, I know you guys are dying to say it, but you want to know if there are any crayons with this book? And the answer is absolutely <laughs> that not. That was no my next question, allowed, Edzo. Okay? Especially for you, Jr. Especially uh, listen, for you, no crayons. I, I'll find crayons. I can write on it. Trust me, you know I always find a crayon. But Edzo, listen, thanks for joining us. I'll tell you, you make NBC and you make watching hockey so much better. We love you so much. You can get Edzo's book. Beating the Odds in Hockey and in Life. It's available wherever books are sold. Go and pick up that book. Everybody get that book. Well, not so bad, Ace, right? That's another episode. That's episode two of Our Line Starts. Remember, a new episode will drop every Wednesday. You get different perspectives from a lot of us here at the NBC studios. Jonesy, me, Ace, Sharpie. It's the stories, though. It's the stories that's going to keep you coming back. So wherever you subscribe to your podcasts for automatic downloads, we will see you next time on Our Line Starts. Enjoy. See you.